it is good to be with you, and uh, man, what an exciting time. We're kind of in here between uh, uh, Easter, we had a big day, filled the house on Easter Sunday, and revival starting next week, um, but I, I've been talking the last couple weeks about having a childlike faith, and so I wanted to uh, kind of finish that up today about having a childlike faith, and I talked last week about, uh, you know, how we just kind of lose our innocence once we kind of grow up, don't we? We become, and I, I, I certainly don't mean anybody in this room. Let, let me talk about myself. As I've gotten older, I've become a little more, um, what would my family say? Uh, a little more crusty, amen. Uh, Dad, you know, you're kind of just uh, kind of get that, you know, you're not always in a good mood. I don't know if you, uh, there's a comedian that says, you know, uh, my dad took us to Disneyland. I always wondered, why was my dad in such a bad mood? And he said, now I have my own kids. I go to Disney World, and it's like uh, sweating on the first surface of the sun. And now I know why dad was always in a bad mood, amen? Uh, but, you know, we kind of, we get older. We get a little more cynical. We lose that childlike innocence, don't we? And, uh, you know, last week I used the example of how before I could swim, I was four or five years old, and my dad would get down in the pool, and he would tell me, come on, Mark, jump. And I didn't have any fear as long as my dad was there. As long as I had faith in my dad that he was there, I had complete and total trust that he was going to catch me. And it took all the fear away. It took all the anxiety away. And I just leapt off of that, that deck of that pool like it was nothing because I knew that my daddy was there to catch me. And, you know, we kind of lose that as we get older. After we've been saved a few years, we kind of lose that childlike faith. And we're like, well, Lord, I, I know you can do all things, but, Lord, I, I better handle this thing myself. Amen. And so we, we tend to lose that childlike faith. And uh, we talked about different things. Uh, but the one I want to talk about today is that uh, the childlike faith that my God forgives me. My God forgives me. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, and we're going to see today, not only does God forgive you, but that old line, forgive and forget, God does exactly that. God forgives it, and he not only forgives it, he forgets it. Amen? So once it's forgiven, it's like it never happened to him. All right? Once you've asked for forgiveness, once the blood of Jesus has covered it, it's as if it never happened. Now, you and I, are we quite that good? Hmm. Uh, you know, we tell people, uh, and, and I would say this, if you've been married any length of time, uh, your wife and you, probably this goes both ways, uh, you can say, I forgive you, but the forgetting thing, that's a whole other story, isn't it? Because I find what most people do is, oh, I forgive you, but I'm filing that one away. I'm filing that one in the back file cabinet here, and if you, uh, if you displease me again or if I need to bring it up again, I'll bring it from the back file cabinet back to the front again, and we will revisit this. Amen. So we forgive, but it's much harder to forget, isn't it? But I've got good news for you today. You can have childlike faith and know my God forgives, and when he forgives, he not only forgives, he forgets as if it never happened. Now, you say many people that becomes a stumbling block to them. The gospel is too simple. Well, it can't be that simple. If I do something wrong, God's got to whoop me, and then he's got to remind me of it, and I need to walk around with shame and guilt for quite a long time. And many of us today, there's some things in our life that we are still walking around, and we're carrying that shame and that guilt and that regret. And the devil uses that 
to lock you up and put you in chains and to keep you from doing things that God wants you to do, all right? So I'm here to, the best analogy I could come up with was anybody in here that is a parent or had kids. When your kid is small, amen, I want you to, because I want you to relate this to that, all right? When my children were small, three, four, five years old, that's about the time they start learning how to do things that they're not supposed to do, and you tell them no, and guess what? They, they, they have a hard time getting it because we're born with a sinful nature. But now my little children would do something wrong, and I would say, you know what? You did something wrong. Daddy's got to punish you, all right? And that, that could have been as extreme as maybe a spanking, or it could have been something like you need to go to timeout, or you need to go to your room, and you need to think about that. And that you would uh, administer the punishment, but then after the punishment was given out, what would you do? You would go to your little child, three, four, five years old, and you would say, you know what? Uh, you did wrong. Daddy punished you, and I explained to you why I punished you. So I want you to come here now. I want you to hug Daddy. I want you to know that Daddy loves you. That is all under the bridge now. That's all past, and you go on. You're forgiven. You serve the punishment, and uh, I want you to know Daddy's not going to remember it. You're not going to remember it, and we're just going to go on like it never happened. And with a three-, four-, five-year-old, is that any problem? No, not at all. And they just they say, okay, Daddy. And they just go on, and it's as if it never happened. Now, let me admit to you, if you believe you can do that, and God is the perfect father, why do we not believe that God can do that? God can simply say, you stepped outside of my will, uh, you asked forgiveness, I covered him in my blood, I wrapped my arms around you, I tell you, I love you, let's go on as if it never happened. Why can't we do that anymore? Why can't we have the innocence of a child and just walk away and say, okay, Daddy, thank you, you're so kind, and just go on as if it never happened. But something happens as we get older, and we think that's too simple. No, God's got to hold it over my head, just like I would hold it over somebody else's head. And that's the gospel is too simple. You know why the gospel becomes a stumbling block to people? Because they cannot accept that it's just that simple. Can I tell you today, I got very good news for you. The gospel is simple. Jesus died on the cross. He spilled his blood. He did all the work. And it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Salvation is found only in the blood of Jesus. Can I ask you this? Does the blood of Jesus have anything to do with you? It cannot have anything to do with you. It's his blood. He spilled it. He hung on that cross. They pierced his side. They pierced his hands and feet. It has nothing to do with you. And so the reality of the gospel is it really has nothing to do with you. So quit putting all of that pressure on yourself. Well, surely I have to be a good enough person. Or surely I have to have enough good works. Or surely it's that I have to do this plus this plus this. I know Jesus had something to do with it, but that's just too simple. Can I tell you today, if you mess with the simplicity of the gospel, you are perverting the simplicity of the gospel. Amen? And so you need to understand that it is Jesus plus nothing. The blood of Jesus, only hope that I have in going to heaven because I deserve hell 
and I deserve uh, to go to hell. I deserve uh, not to be forgiven of my sins. But the only reason that I can be assured that I'm going to heaven and I don't have to worry about any of that is because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. And I have accepted that, and I've accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior, and I accept what he did for me on the cross. Amen. And it's the truth for everybody in the room. You've heard me say this many times before. Everybody, I can unequivocally say, from Miss Pam all the way around over here to Brother Steve, that everybody in this room, your sins have been forgiven. The price has already been paid for everybody in this room. The only difference is, have you humbled yourself and accepted what he did for you? He says, it's like a free gift. He said, my will is that no one would perish, that no one would perish. And so he simply says, I provided a way out. I provided my son, and all you have to do is accept that. It is a free gift. Do you like getting gifts? Come on, y'all. Y'all are deader than hammer. Do y'all like getting gifts? I love getting gifts, amen? And uh, the better the gift, the more excited I get, amen? Uh, and I'm here to tell you, God gave you a gift that is absolutely and completely priceless. You can't even put a price tag on it. Could you put any price tag on eternal life? Could you put any price tag on you get to go live in heaven with your Savior for all of eternity? Can you even begin to put a price tag on that? Do you realize how much sin the Lord has forgiven you of? Now, some of you, I know some of you, some of you better be thanking God every day because you got a whole lot of sin, amen? And there was, it took a lot of blood to cover all that sin, amen? Do we understand the depth of sin that Jesus has pulled us out of? Are we even comprehending the mighty grace of God? And that's what we're going to talk about. My God, forgive me. Let's look at the first scripture. 1 John 1, 9 says this. Whew, one of my favorite verses. And this, if you don't have this one, you better highlight it and then shout. Amen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, can I tell you something? When you give a child a bath, I love, I loved when my kids were little bitty babies. They don't stay that way very long, do they? But you know how it was when you gave that baby, you gave that baby a, a, a bath and you got it all cleaned up and babies just have a, you ever had that baby smell? It's better than new car smell, amen? They got that baby smell, and then you put that Johnson & Johnson baby lotion all over them, and it just oh, it smells so good. And that baby is just as clean and as pure as it can be. Can I tell you that's exactly what happens right here. When you confess our sin, your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you, to bathe you, to give you a bath every single time of all unrighteousness. You've got that new baby smell. And you are just as clean as can be. Amen. Whoo. Amen. We ought to make a Baptist want to shout. Amen. Uh, kids understand forgiveness. It makes sense to them. They desperately, they desperately need it. And their world isn't okay until they have received it. Have you ever had a child do something wrong? And they beg for your forgiveness? And they will not be happy or satisfied or stop crying until you tell them, It's okay, honey. Daddy forgives you. It's okay. Amen? Kids understand that. Kids understand their desperate need for forgiveness. And they will not be happy or satisfied until they receive it. All right? You and I, we need to, we need to get that back, don't we? 
so number, we're going to look at two things. How does God forgive? Number one, and this is, I hope this sets some people free today. How does God forgive? Number one, God removes our sin completely. He removes it, all right? The scripture on this one is Psalm uh, 103.12, all right? And it says this, as far as the east is from the west. Can somebody tell me how far that is? You start heading, which way is east? I'm all turned around. That, that way, okay. Uh, if you start heading that way, and or I, let's say I start heading that way, and I go east, and I just keep on going, and you start heading west, and you just keep on going, and we just keep on going, and we never stop. How far away is that? It's, it's endless. It's very, very far. It's endless. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In other words, forgive, forget. Once he forgives it, he casts it away as far as the east is from the west. Man, Christian, can I tell you, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much shame and regret it brings to you, God has forgiven it if you've asked for forgiveness for it, and he has cast it as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Amen. All right, so God removes your sin completely. It's not even uh, that God no longer holds our sin against us. He completely separates our sin from us. It is no longer um, attached or associated with us. All right. Then the number two thing about how God forgives is God forgets our sin immediately. This is the most exciting part to me. Isaiah 43:25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not, what? Come on, read it. It's right there. It's in the Bible. I will not, what? Whew. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. Now, I'm going to date myself here. I know none of the young people will know what I'm talking about. But anybody remember when we had these machines called typewriters? I know none of you know what that is. It was like a computer, but you actually had to push the keys down, and then there was a ribbon, and on the end of that arm of each one of them would be a letter, and when you press that, the letter would be printed on that piece of paper. But when you typed, if, unless you were a really good typist, and I was not, uh, you had to keep this stuff called whiteout. Remember whiteout? And what was whiteout for? Whiteout was for blotting out your mistakes so I want to give you that that mental picture that here's what God literally does when you make a mistake when you sin when you sin against God God's got a big old bottle of white out and he just takes that white out and he just blots it right out as if it were. and when you get that white out on there and you and you blow on it and it dries it's as if it was never there now you just got backspace delete 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 amen but back then, it, it took some effort to blot out your mistakes. You had to make all, you had to finish typing the paper and then go back through with all that white out and try to make it look as neat as possible before you turned it in. Amen. That's exactly what God does for it. Can everybody say thank God for white out? Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. Uh, the all-knowing creator of the world makes the willful decision to limit his memory as it relates to your sin. Whatever you want to use, young people, delete, backspace, clear the history, whatever you need, 
older people, blot out, white out, whatever you need to say. God deletes, he backspaces, he erases, and he cleans the history completely. Amen. Uh, why do we continue to define ourselves by our sin when kids move on like it never happened? You know, I, I gave you the example of how kids, they just move on as if it never happened. Why do we continue to live in our shame and our regret when kids have the ability to say, okay, daddy, thanks for forgiving me, and they go on and just act like it never happened? Why do we lose that? What do you think it is that makes us lose that? I think it's the world we live in. It's the culture we live in. Somebody's got to pay. We, we are so proud that we, uh, now it depends on what end of this you're on, because when I do something wrong to you, I desperately need grace and forgiveness. And I really want it. And I'm, I'm hoping you're very free with it. But now when you have wronged me, mm, wait a minute. I don't want to give out that grace and mercy so quick. Uh, Martin, Martin, you wrong me. You said something about me, Martin. And I, uh, I'm going to need to see some real, uh, some real sorrowfulness, amen. And so, you know, I'm going to need to see you crawl on your knees to me. I'm going to need to see you beg. I'm going to need at least see a couple of tears. You know, that's how we are as adults. We get to where we think there ought to we're all about justice, aren't we? We're all about justice and pain, especially when it's been done to us. Now, when we do the wrong, oh man, I'm mercy, grace, forgiveness. Amen. But when we, we're the ones been wronged, we want justice and we want God to we want the hammer to come down. Amen. And I'm here to tell you we need to always act as if it's us on that needs receiving into grace. When somebody's wronged you, put the shoe on the other foot and turn it around and act like I'm the one that needs the grace, mercy, forgiveness. Amen. Because I'm here to tell you, holding grudges, Julie and I went to a reunion deal yesterday, and there was a family there that the family had had some issues, and they had not talked, many of them had not talked or had any connection with each other for many, many months, maybe even years. And uh, they said, we knew we were coming to this reunion. We knew our family members were going to be here. So a couple weeks before, we just we got together, and we said, you know what? Life's too short. They were coming to honor their grandparents, who were 85 and 82. And they said, you know what? Uh, we need to do this for us. We need to do this for our grandparents. Uh, we don't need to bring, bring shame and reproach on our family because we're both too hard-headed and too prideful to just say, you know what, I'm sorry. And that's not even saying, well, you say, but, but I'm right. You don't, you don't understand, but I'm right. That's not even the issue. The issue is it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. And what they had to do was say, you know what, we may never see eye to eye, we may not agree, but we need to put this aside. And when you say, you know what, I love you, I love you. Even if we don't see eye to eye, even if we don't agree, we need to come together because we're family and life is too short. And we don't want to bring shame on our family. We, do, we don't want to bring shame. Here's our aging grandparents whose only joy in life would be to see their family be reconciled to each other. Amen. Life is simply too short. Amen. All right, so forgiveness. Have you ever asked God's forgiveness, yet you didn't feel forgiven? You ever ask God's forgiveness and you go, mm, I don't know if that, that really took and, you know, now the verse promises, says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Amen. But sometimes we go, I just don't know. I just don't feel like God forgave me. All right. I don't feel forgiven. And I, I caution you again, don't ever let operate by your emotions. 
Your emotions will get you in trouble. Now, I know some of you. I know some of you very well. Some of you are extremely emotional. Amen. And some of you live and die by your emotions. Can I tell you, do not live and die by your emotions. Amen. Your emotions and your feelings will get you in trouble. You need to uh, stand firm on the word of God and the truth of God. Amen. And the truth of God is that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. It doesn't always matter. You get up one day and you say, well, I don't feel saved today. I guess I won't go to church. That's when you need to get down here the most. Amen. Because the devil will play with your emotions. He will play with your feelings. Amen. So always stand on the truth of the word of God. Get emotions out of the way. All right. Uh, Living under grace is the life-changing constant awareness of what I've been given in light of what I deserve. Can I tell you again, I already said it. I don't know if you'll confess it with me. I deserve to be in hell. Anybody with me on that? I deserve to be in hell. If it were left up to me to be able to be perfect uh, and keep the law to where I never sinned so I could get into heaven, I couldn't do it. That's exactly why Jesus had to come. The law was given first, and then it was realized that no one can be perfect and keep the law. And so there had to be a sacrifice that would fulfill that law. And that was Jesus Christ. Amen. So grace is the life-changing constant awareness. I've been given grace. I've been given forgiveness. I've been given eternal life. And I don't deserve it. Can you say, I don't deserve it? Say it with me. I don't deserve it. All right. Let's look at the scripture. Luke 7, 36 through 39. There it is. It says, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. All right? And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, let me just stop there. We're going to get even more specific here. This woman, many of you have heard this story about the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume. This woman was not just a sinner. This woman was a prostitute. Okay? So uh, we're going we're gonna to get very specific in this story. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So the Pharisee was offended. This woman shows up, and she has a reputation. And number one, let me tell you how he knew exactly who she was, because what you may not know is the only ones who carried around a little alabaster um, flask were prostitutes, and they would wear it around their neck. And the way that you would identify who was a prostitute, a woman would advertise that she was selling her body and she would wear this alabaster uh, uh, flask and she would take the lid off and men could smell that smell. And that was how they identified who was selling their body. And so she, when she came in with this little flask, she immediately identified herself as a prostitute. And so the Pharisee knew this and he was deeply offended. This woman comes into my house, a prostitute, and now... She is touching the Savior, the the rabbi, and he is totally and deeply 
offended that this woman would come in and touch Jesus, all right? So, again, many of you have heard this story. Living under grace propels you to, and we're going to look at the woman. Number one, to change your heart's affection. Let's go on with the story. Luke 7, 44 through 48. So then Jesus, he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water to wash my feet for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. All right, verse 45. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many. Now, Jesus was not saying that this woman is innocent. He said, this woman, therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And then this may be the most important part of this verse right here. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I find the people who fall in love with Jesus the most are the ones who recognize how deeply their sin has been forgiven, how much that, Lord, I've been forgiven. I have so much sin, and you have covered so much sin. From whom much is forgiven, much is required. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. All right? Listen, this woman comes in, and she is ashamed of who she is. She is ashamed of her sin, but she has been touched by the love of Jesus. And she comes in, and she doesn't ask for acceptance. She just says, Lord, I need you. And she begins to weep. And she begins to take the only thing she has of value, which is this alabaster oil. And she begins to put it on the feet of Jesus. And then she's weeping, and her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. And then she has nothing to wipe his feet with, so she just takes her hair and she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. Mm. Grace propels you to change your heart's affection. This woman changed her heart. And she came and we are literally seeing a change of her heart as she's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Number two, what does it do? It changes your life's direction. All right, let's continue. Luke 7, 37 and 38. And let's just look at it again. It says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought this alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet, and she anointed them with the fragrant oil. All right? Now, here's the thing. I've read this verse for years, and gone to a lot of Bible classes and uh, graduated from Bible college. And in hearing this story, it was always the great value was that um, she was, this perfume was very, very expensive, this alabaster, all right? It was one year's wages. You know what that would be equal today? A year's average yearly wage is $45,000 a year. So to equate that to today's times, this perfume would be worth $45,000. And she, here she is pouring it at the feet of Jesus. But here's what you don't know. I learned this this week. I've always heard that's the great price was how much that perfume was worth. But here's what's interesting. At this time in Arab culture, the perfume was worn around the neck of the prostitute. 
And as men would walk by, they would smell the perfume, and that was the sole sign that this woman was selling her body. By that woman sitting at the feet of Jesus and pouring out that perfume, it wasn't just an act of love, but it was a declaration that she would never, ever be a prostitute again. She was pouring out not only her love and affection, but she was pouring out a declaration that I walk away from my former life. I walk away from my sin. I renounce my sin. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin, and I am turning the other direction. So the greatest price is not how much the perfume costs, but that she was literally pouring it out and saying, I renounce, I repent. I am walking away. I am changing my life direction. I want you to put the last slide up. We need to understand, folks, if we're ever going to have revival, if God is ever going to bring a great move of God in our time before the Lord comes back, we've got to get in tune with the grace of God. And we've got to be on fire with it. We've got to be on fire with it that we need to go tell others about the great mercy of God. I want you to look at this, write it down, take a picture of it, because this is the culmination of what I'm saying today. The grace of God is dangerous, lavish, excessive, outrageous, and scandalous. But the person who receives this gift with childlike faith will never be the same again. Can I guarantee you this woman was never the same again after that encounter. She poured it out. She said, I am done with this life. I am done with my sin. I am done with the former things of my life. I'm going to live a different life from this point forward. And can I tell you today, I don't know about you. I only know my story because it's the only one I've lived. But can I tell you unequivocally that Jesus changed my life, and he not only changed my life, he completely changed the direction of my life. Without Jesus Christ in my life, my life would look totally different than what it looks like today. And I would tell you today, if you can't stand here and say that, that the Lord has changed the direction of my life, you need to revisit that. Because when we meet Jesus, anybody in the Bible that had a true encounter with Jesus and met Jesus, he changed their life if they accepted it. They were never the same again after they met Jesus. And my question to you today is, has there been a change? Has he really changed the direction of your life? Have you allowed him to change the direction of your life? When your sins are completely and totally blotted out and forgiven and you can start fresh, it should change you and it should completely change the direction of your life. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes if you would. Again, I never want to uh, leave without giving you an opportunity to say, Lord, I... I, I need change. I, I need you. And maybe you've never asked the Lord to come into your heart as your Savior. Maybe you've done that before and you've wandered away from Him. But I'm here to tell you today, He is always, always standing with His arms wide open. And I'm here to tell you today and promise you that the Lord will blot out your sin as if it never happened. And so if that's you today, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Pray this prayer in your heart and your mind and just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. Lord, I need you to blot out my sins. 
Daddy, I need you to forgive me and to forget all my sins. Lord, please forgive me of my sin and cast them away as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart and save me and forgive me of my sins. Now today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I don't want to embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, just lift up a hand so I could pray for you today. Amen. Maybe you would say today, Mark, I have complete and total confidence in my salvation, but Brother Mark, I could do better. I need to, I need to find the fire and I need to find the, uh, the excitement that I used to have in my life for Christ. I need to fall in love with Jesus again. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift up a hand if that's you today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, you see these hands. God, we just, we need you. God, we need you more than anything. Lord, our, our culture, our world has wandered so far away from you. Our lives have strayed so far away from you and what you want in our lives. God, help us to find you once again. God, lead us back to you, God. Lord, I remember when I got saved, God, just seeming like, God, I could take on the world. But Lord, I've lost that fire. I've lost that zeal. God, would you, God, would you help us to find it again? Would you bring a move of God to this place? Would you bring true revival, a move of your spirit, God? We ask you to do that, Lord, and we're trusting you to do that. Let it begin right here in this room today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Hey, one thing I did forget to put on the announcements, uh, like I said, we're doing lunch next Sunday after, right after the service, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll have a full house, and if we need to move some tables in here and eat in here, uh, we're just going to try to prepare for a, a huge crowd. Uh, but we do need some help. Miss Mary's going to fix all the sides. Brother David Burks is having our uh, briskets done, and uh, Miss Mary's going to do all the sides. <clears throat> but we needed some ladies to fix desserts, and I did not put a, uh, a sign-up sheet out. But if you could, uh, Miss Mary, could you kind of take names down on dessert if they would come to you this morning? Uh, so if you can fix a dessert for next Sunday and just bring it with you next Sunday morning, and we'll set all the food out and have it ready to go. But uh, that's mainly what we need from you ladies is desserts. So if you can see Miss Mary, if you can uh, do a dessert today. Yes. We're going to need desserts every night, uh, but the biggest need will probably be for that Sunday morning. That probably will be the biggest crowd, yeah. So, yeah, if you can, uh, if you can do desserts other nights, we definitely need that too. But, uh, but right now, just mainly concentrating for Sunday morning, all right? All right, so I think that's everything. Hopefully I hadn't forgotten anything. Man, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Brother Gary has the offering basket at the door on your way out. So God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.